0: Welcome to the darkness that fills my mind. It's the time of year where we thrive on all manner of lurid and morbid tales. Where things go bump in the night, and the scariest monsters are the ones that lurk within our souls. (laughs) October is here. As the most profound epidemic in human history, the plague claimed the lives of millions. Many feared they were living through the apocalypse, while many others turned to sinful pleasure as a distraction. Mm, Nothing beats going into a full-blown orgiastic frenzy when death is about. Surviving the Black Death wasn't easy, the only certainty was demise. After all, bubonic plague in the Middle Ages didn't spare anyone. Monks and nuns perished alongside mothers and their children, rich men, and even royalty. The question is what was the average day like amidst the plague in the 14th century? Welcome to a brand new October Madness episode. Are you ready? <laughs> Up and look out the window. Imagine waking up on a cloudy morning in late 1348 and glancing out your window. Outside, you see carts hauling off the lifeless, and you can hear the wails of mourners. You're in the middle of the Black Death, the most prolific epidemic in human history. In Florence, one of Europe's most prosperous cities, 60% of the entire population perished in a matter of months. Spread by rats infected with fleas carrying Yersinia pestis, the bubonic version of the plague quickly jumped to humans. When an infected flea bit someone, the victim rapidly came down with symptoms such as swollen buboes in their lymph nodes. About 80% of infected victims passed within a week. But the bubonic version isn't the only treacherous pestilence spreading across Europe. You stop to buy flowers to protect from diseases. It's the 14th century, and everyone believes flowers protect against plague. After all, diseases spread because of foul smells, also known as miasmas. So flowers blocked them out. Just before the plague struck Italy, earthquakes rocked the ground, and the doctors claimed the earthquakes released pockets of corrupted air, causing the plague. These toxic vapors targeted people, but many believed flowers provided some protection from the bad air. Since you're heading to your new job as a gravedigger, a growing industry in 1348, you figure it's better to be safe than sorry. So you pick up a bouquet and hold it in front of your face as you walk to work. You toil as a gravedigger trying to avoid the plague victims. The epidemic created a public health crisis. With thousands of bodies accumulating on the streets of European cities, authorities needed a plan to dispose of them. Florentine city leaders hired the economically disadvantaged to carry the bodies away. Consecrated ground was in high demand, and most gravediggers didn't bother to bury each body individually. Instead, they tossed victims into mass graves. One Florentine chronicler wrote, All the citizens did little else except to carry dead bodies to be buried. Those who were poor, who died during the night, were bundled up quickly and thrown into the pit. They took some earth and shoveled it down on top of them, and later others were placed on top of them, and then another layer of earth, just as one makes lasagna with layers of pasta and cheese. Since you need the money, you spend all morning carting plague victims to the ominous graves. Once you dump the last of the bodies, it's time to leave. But on your way home, you run into an even more terrifying sight. A plague doctor stops you on the street, and says you don't look so good. Boccaccio, an eyewitness to the plague, wrote dismissively of doctors who had no clue how to cure the disease. Against these maladies, it seemed that all the advice of physicians and all the power of medicine were profitless and unavailing. Doctors themselves perished in droves from the plague, since they were frequently exposed to it while tending patients, with almost nothing to protect them from the disease other than flowers. However, during this and later plague epidemics, doctors developed a distinctive plague outfit, including an off-putting mask that covered the entire head with a long raven-like beak, which the rarer stuffed with flowers for protection the sight of a masked plague doctor became a common, if not terrifying, encounter during times of outbreak. On your walk home from digging graves, you run into a plague doctor. He says you don't look so good. Suddenly, you notice the sweat on your forehead and a pounding headache. Could it be the first symptoms of the plague? Your friend checks your body for buboes, but doesn't find any. As soon as you get home, you ask your best friend to check your armpits for buboes. By late 1348, everyone knows plague victims were first struck with a fever, followed by black swelling in the groin and armpits. Most victims perished within three days of first showing symptoms. And during this epidemic, Europeans knew the disease was contagious, even if they weren't exactly sure how it spread. As Boccaccio wrote, contact seemed to transfer the sickness to anyone touching the clothes or other objects which had been handled or used by its victims. You remember dumping plague victims into those graves. How careful were you not to touch them? But when your friend examines your armpits, he doesn't find anything. At least, not yet. You check your astrological chart for comets. As your fever rages, you rush to examine your astrological chart. Everyone knows the stars can cause disease. The medical faculty of the University of Paris officially declared bubonic plague was caused by an astrological event. A triple conjunction of Saturn, Jupiter, and Mars in the 40th degree of Aquarius, occurring on March 20th, 1345, created the pestilence. They reported authoritatively. But before you find the chart, you remember a strange thing you saw recently. A comet streaking across the night sky. The evil comet must have caused your sickness. You decide to visit the local church to pray. With sweat pouring down your face, you rush to the nearest church. If God sent the plague because of mankind's sins, your best protection now is prayer. An all-powerful God must have unleashed the plague, a new biblical level calamity to punish sinfulness. What's life without a bit of sin, eh? But when you reach the chapel, you find it empty. Then you remember hearing priests were passing from the plague even faster than anyone else. Apparently, their religion didn't protect them, and you even heard of entire monasteries where every single monk succumbed to the plague. Maybe the church isn't the best place to protect yourself from disease, after all. Personally speaking, it wouldn't be the first place I would go to find solace, unless it was to go into one of the confessionals and commit sinful acts. (laughs) It's my fantasy, don't ruin it. Join the flagellants trying to please God. There's no denying it. You've caught the plague. Even if buboes haven't appeared yet, you can tell that something is terribly wrong. Your head aches. Your limbs feel weak. Suddenly... It's harder to breathe. Turns out, you've caught pneumonic plague, the worst version of the disease. In all likelihood, you'll be lifeless by nightfall. But you aren't ready to give up yet. You notice a group of people gathered in the town square. It must be the flagellants. Or as they would say it in French, les flagellants. They are a group of religious penitents punishing themselves to repent. You stagger over and ask for a lash, watching the men and women trying to placate an angry god. But the lashes only make you feel worse. Personally speaking, the only time I would agree to a light whipping would be maybe in one of those confessionals. Oh my. You decide to accuse the town's Jewish people of the plague. As your body grows weaker, you become enraged. You're a good Christian. Sure, you've committed a few sins, but who hasn't? So why would God give you the plague? Suddenly, you hear someone nearby muttering about Jewish people. Though your town only has a small Jewish population, you've heard rumors about what happened in Switzerland. Jewish individuals were accused of contaminating the wells to infect people with plague. After capturing the accused Jewish people, the Swiss authorities mistreated them until they confessed and then burned the innocent people alive. A French chronicler named Jean de Vernet reported that Christians massacred people of Jewish heritage in Germany and other parts of the world. And many thousands were burned everywhere indiscriminately. This sort of prejudice canard was the result of long-standing practice of Christians turning Jewish individuals into scapegoats for various unfounded reasons. But before you can join the hate group, you hear something else and it stops you in your tracks. Music. You decide to head to a call house because life is short. Boccaccio reported that many became hedonists in the face of the plague. They argued that an infallible way of warding off this appalling evil was to drink heavily, enjoy life to the full, go round singing and merrymaking, gratifying all of one's cravings whenever the opportunity offered. Of course, Boccaccio also pointed out everyone met their end regardless of what they did. But when you hear the music, you turn toward the door of a nearby call house. Apparently, the plague hasn't closed off all the businesses in your town. You head inside, thinking that if God's already angry, there's no point in holding back. But the man at the door turns you away because you'll scare the other patrons. You become so weak, you can't get out of bed. You stumble back to your house and fall into bed. Thankfully, a nearby doctor notices your trauma and offers to help. When you ask him for his medical credentials, he ignores your question. But you're too weak to fight back. The doctor pulls out two live chickens and tries to strap them to your armpits. He claims it helps with the buboes. When you explain that you don't have any yet, he offers you a potion that glows like silver. Since you're already nearing your end, you drink it. Is that strange taste mercury or arsenic? Both were used to treat the plague. As you fall into a feverish coma, the doctor takes all your savings, which was hidden under your mattress, and leaves you to perish alone. At dusk, you succumb to the pneumonic plague. You've only been sick for a few hours, but already you can barely breathe. That's because you have pneumonic plague. Fleas aren't the only way the horrific disease spread, unfortunately. The septicemic version traveled through people's blood, and the highly contagious pneumonic version could transmit through droplets from sneezing or coughing. If you're unlucky enough to catch the septicemic or pneumonic version, it has a hundred percent mortality rate. You drift in and out of consciousness. Your breath becomes shorter until you perish. Maybe your lifeless body will help the doctors, but probably not. Now you're one of the bodies causing a public health crisis in your town. When the epidemic struck in 1348, Pope Clement VI ordered the autopsy and dissection of plague victims. The Pope hoped by investigating the plague, doctors would soon figure out a cure. Many physicians took him up on the offer and began cutting open plague victims. But the medical investigations proved fruitless for centuries. The cause of the plague, a bacteria known as Yersinia pestis, was first isolated in 1894. And there was no cure until the discovery of antibiotics in the mid-20th century. Of course, that's much too late for you. After the doctors dissect your body, you end up buried in the same grave where you were toiling the morning of your demise. I hope you enjoyed episode 4. If you're enjoying Beauty Unlocked's content, then consider becoming a patron. For $3 a month, you'll unlock extra goodies. So come check us out at patreon.com forward slash beautyunlocked. With all that being said, join us again this Friday for more October Madness. I'm Carissa Vickis. And I wish you a good night.